0: In the world of HR podcasts, there are two separate but equally important components. The podcast host who scours the globe for today's best and brightest HR minds, and the podcast guest who delivers actionable insights to help you transform your world of work. These are their stories. We've taken your legal questions from 2021 and have Canada's top labor lawyer here to answer them today. This is the Insights at Work podcast. Daddy, what about the listeners? You didn't mention the listeners. They're important too. Oh, you're right, Sophie. They are pretty important. Oh, well, back to the drawing board. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of the Insights at Work podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Livingston. This is the podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world takes your questions, and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. Happy New Year. We're kicking off our 2022 podcast season with a returning guest. The last time she appeared, we spoke about romance in the workplace, and it was certainly a fiery episode. I'm sure she's going to bring just as much passion with her today. She's one of my favorite labor lawyers, whose work you've probably read or someone you've seen in the media. So, given that we're recording this podcast at the very end of 2021, Lisa Stamm, let me be the first person to wish you a Happy New Year. Aw,
1: oh, thanks, Jeff. That's a very kind intro. I'm very delighted to be here. And chat about uh, workplace law shenanigans. And happy new year to you too.
0: I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be the only one saying this, but it's kind of nice to see 2021 in the rearview mirror. We saw a lot of change take place and a lot of new standards accepted and adopted by employers. Probably more change took place in the workplace than either of us have experienced in the last 20 years. And that's dating me. So it means (laughs) 2021 was probably pretty exciting for you. If you were to grade 2021, 20, Lisa,
1: what would you give it? Well, from an employment law nerd perspective, I'd have to give it at least a B plus, because there was a, a, some really, actually some really interesting legal developments. And we forced, we've been forced as you know, workplace lawyers to really rethink some traditional legal concepts and assumptions, which is my happy place. You know what, I totally agree. Two years ago, who would have thought that we'd be
0: having conversations like we're gonna have today? It just, it was inconceivable. And I have
1: to say, every time I watched Planet of the Apes and there's that scene in the beginning when they, when like the virus spreads all over the planet, it, the whole series seems so ridiculous and unreal. And here we are two years later, it's still happening. Here we are. So we saw the
0: widespread support uh, for remote work and the hybrid workplace in 2021. And with that, so many new issues that employers had to build into their policies and processes. Lisa, what were the big aha moments that you and your legal team are going to take away from 2021?
1: You know, probably one of the biggest things that we're seeing come to play through different studies and and um, disputes that are arising in the workplace is that there really isn't one universally preferred way to work, and I, and we it really depends on where you are in your life, what what kind of economic bracket you're in. Um, and then where where your role is in the organization? You know we're seeing these studies come out from um, you know some of the big management consulting type companies that are showing this huge disconnect between the C suite and the workers, where the C suite is convinced that you know like the the, the uh, C suite meaning like the chief, the CEO and all the top top people on the on the chain. They all not all, but studies keep showing how many of them think. That it's so much better to be in person because that's a better way to mentor and manage, and it's happier. And uh, so many workers are saying we want at least flexibility, if not lots of remote work. Um, and I've, you know, I've been in different, um, you know, this fall a few different business situations where the the people who are, I mean, I'm 50, so I can't say that the old people, because I'm in that category now. But the people in the <laughs> older category. Who had a, a long career of in person? They just have a hard time. Uh, many do, not all, but have a hard time seeing how do you mentor in a, an online world. And um, it's leading to all kinds of assumptions about how how we should manage our team. And then when it's not done well, it's the worker's fault from the manager's perspective. But maybe the managers could have done a heck of a lot more to just go to where the employers uh, employees want to be. You know what this fall we
0: ran a survey. And what was so interesting was it really confirms just what you said that there's this disconnect between mm-hmm. what Gen Z and millennials want and their expectations and then what gen I guess I'm Gen X. Uh you know I'm I'm pretty much in the same same boat as you. I'm the old people now. <laughs> and, and and what we think you need to do to get ahead so our last survey it looked at proximity bias and it it showed that the business owners and the business managers they said if you want to get promoted and you want to have a better connection you need to be in the workplace
1: yeah see and and i i i this might be a little too um theoretical but there's a part of me that always thinks it's actually really arbitrary That we gather people together only by who their employer happens to be. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter um, what your demographic is or who you have shared interests or where you might be more productive. Um, None of that matters. It's all about who your employer happens to be. And and that made sense pre-technology, but in a world and it makes sense if like you're running a coffee shop your workers need to come to the coffee shop but if you're running anything in an office environment that can be purely digital um you absolutely have to bake in all the communication tools absolutely you know we are all human that need to connect socially but um the, it can be so much more nuanced and sophisticated than merely lumping everyone together because the old school manager wants to breathe down that team's neck and make sure that they're productive. It, it, there's just so much more to it now. And I, 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 I think that we're seeing um, so many companies have great financial years, even though their employees have been home. So the 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 traditional argument that, you, you, you know, it'll impact our bottom line and we can't afford this, that's now been proven completely false. All the big banks have amazing, <clears throat> record profits and all their employees have been, or many of their employees have been home. So I, you know, it's time to rethink what is a better way to live. So let's talk about what is on
0: the mind of the HR professional right now. And that is for those in-person workers, that vaccination in the workplace. (laughs) We get questions about this all of the time. And I really wanted to dive into it on today's podcast. So let's start with, should you have a vaccination
1: policy? Okay, well, I'm an employment lawyer, so, you know, the answer will be, yes, you should have a policy, (laughs) but for some, some good reasons in this case, um, it's important to have consistency across your workplace. So, this is such a, a, um, a politically, or it can be such a politically charged issue. So, having a consistent policy apply across the workplace will help. Address some, um, you know, allegations of inconsistency or favoritism or, you know, political targets, whatever. Um, But it also, I think, is helpful to force decision makers, whether you're, you know, uh, uh, running your own business or your big corporation, but it forces the decision makers to sit down and just think about what their policy is going to be and write it down. It, like, it can be one paragraph. This does not need to be complex, but what is the policy. So yes, yes there should be. And then of course there's we'll talk about it in a bit, but um there's a legal requirement also because employers have a proactive duty to under the the various health and safety laws in Canada to keep your workers safe. So you can't legally ignore this issue at this point. Are you saying that the man, that the policy should be mandatory or voluntary? Well, um it depends. Also, I have to say as a lawyer, um I I so I, I think there should be a policy, and then in the policy, whether it's mandatory or uh, voluntary, will depend on a number of things. Um, It depends on what industry you're in. It depends on whether uh, this policy is for frontline workers. Are those frontline workers dealing with vulnerable um, uh, populations? Um, Is this a a role that was already remote anyways? Um, Are there reasonable alternatives that can be considered given the nature of all these things? So should it be mandatory or voluntary? Um there has to be a clear approach. If it's if you are a purely remote, so for example, my team is um our law firm is is entirely virtual and, and it has been since the start pre-pandemic. Um, so I don't I don't have a mandatory vaccine policy with my team because you know, we meet once a quarter. We're actually small enough that we've all talked about it and bragged about when we do go and get our vaccine. So I happen to already know. <laughs> And don't need the policy right now. Um, but, uh, and that's maybe not a great example because I'm saying that we don't have vaccine policy in my workplace. But, but um, we're purely remote. So I, I, I wouldn't, I don't need a mandatory policy at this point. So there's no consequence for
0: the non-compliance part of it.
1: Yeah, well, if we, yeah, exactly. If we have, you know, we've had a couple of in-person strategy meetings. For example, we do meet up once once a quarter, so we did manage to fit a couple in. We've switched our January annual retreat to virtual, unfortunately, but um, our our uh, recent one was um, at a facility that they required vaccine um, passports. I think the other thing to keep in mind is that um, any time you're asking for vaccine information from your workers you're asking and we're going to talk about privacy in a second but you're asking for medical information um and so you you know uh employers always need to be mindful of the privacy and human rights laws uh that are protecting workers across the country and and balancing that with the health and safety requirements so it's it's a it's a delicate line to constantly be trying to to balance
0: let's talk about that privacy aspect so Who needs to know and who doesn't need to know who in the office is vaccinated? What information is considered private and should be guarded by HR? For example, I really see that there's two people are on two sides of the fence for this. And it's pretty divisive. So what if an employee chooses not to disclose their vaccination status and a coworker assumes that they are unvaccinated and gives them a hard time about it? does the employee have any recourse on their company
1: i mean you you can't harass each other at the best of times so i think that you know that, um if it starts to spill over into um you know good old fashioned harassment then for sure that there's recourse there if uh, but you know harassment um is in the eyes of the beholder and so if the person who is unvaccinated or no the person who's being you know pointed out and centered because they're not disclosing um it, it it you know how do they feel about it it does actually come down to that are they feeling really ostracized and and harassed in the workplace um i think the bigger picture is how who has to disclose what information and there's some really strong opinions about that now you know if 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 it was any other piece of medical information nobody would care you know like if I needed to go get my foot x-rayed no one's gonna care whether I tell you the results of that x-ray and it's it's um it's so politically charged so I think in all these cases it's always important for the employer or the the HR um people stuck having to (laughs) mediate all these things try and figure out where the politics are first and try and get Remove the politics and then think about the the different legal balances that have to be um, juggled. Yeah,
0: there are, I mean, there's definitely two very strong viewpoints in the office. And what is so interesting that I think is, I wonder if, have the standards changed since 2019, since pre-pandemic, about what's considered a poisonous workplace?
1: I think we've got this giant issue that is constantly in every workplace. And so, I, the, have the standards changed? Um, we're certainly seeing a lot more harassment complaints. Um, you know, our firm is certainly seeing um, a lot more respondents looking for help and um, and investigations being requested because everyone's so stressed out. So it's hard to really pull it apart. It's like a Cinnabon, you know, it's like all these little <laughs> parts are all together you pull it apart and it's like not the nice circle still. It's, it's um everybody is stressed. They're being pulled in a thousand directions on the home front and in the workplace. Um, Everyone's worried about, are they going to lose their job tomorrow? Or is, is the second you pop into the news, you, you know, the, the numbers are good or terrible, like it's and unpredictable, so unpredictable. So, it's just all that stress all over. The, and this is just assuming you don't actually have. A medically compromised person in your house who's been um, very sick or has passed away from COVID, you know, and that's like a whole other layer. So it's, it's, um, the stress levels are so high. So I'm not sure that the standards of harassment have changed, but there's this whole giant, giant bucket of facts to pull from now that are triggering so much stress in the workplace.
0: And so are you seeing, obviously, I, I'm assuming that you're seeing less sexual harassment claims in the workplace but you're seeing now with this new uh claim about people being harassed over uh vaccination inquiries
1: you know we're not seeing less sexual harassment claims oh. actually i mean in between all of this we were you know um the the after me too movement was you know at its height just before this and that certainly hadn't finished working its way through this we're not done fixing gender inequality in the workplace at oh, all absolutely not Black Lives matter and all the protests last year like it's every issue has come up critically important issues that have just added all these layers of um people seeking recourse and feeling more and this is a good thing feeling more comfortable to seek that recourse because thankfully i mean the upside of all of this is that we are starting to see People taking things more seriously, but none of that will happen overnight. It takes, you know, months or years of all these microaggressions that happen um, that that finally just become too much and people just put their foot down. It's like, that's enough. I, I now I didn't get this promotion or now I, you know, something else just happened um, that started years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and but in in the, the the giant backdrop is everything around the pandemic that just everyone's already s- elevated stress levels in the first place. It amplifies. It amplifies. That's a great way to put it.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about accommodations. What type of accommodations need to be made for the employee? Because I know a lot of our listeners are interested in that.
1: Yeah. So this uh, ought to be fairly familiar territory, and so um, for anyone who's had to accommodate a disability. So, if you've got a worker who has requested accommodation because of a sore lower back and they can't lift stuff, the analysis that you do with all of that. Right? You, you. Um, is this, uh, uh, is the accommodation based on a ground that's protected. In the applicable human rights code, right? So, if it's, um, is, is it a disability? Is it, um, something related to. Religion or creed—I um, mean, these are the the common categories for COVID uh, or vaccine vaccine type um, accommodations. Um, so it has to first, uh, the the requested accommodation has to fit into some sort of protected ground, and so that's threshold number one. Threshold number two is um, the the requirement to accommodate is up to undue hardship, right? And so. Um, what is that undue hardship will depend on the size of the, uh, employer, the nature of the industry, you know, an accommodation in a small daycare is going to look very different than a very large corporation of remote workers. It's, it's, it's going to look very different. So, um, those 2 thresholds are kind of looking the same. Okay. Now, and can we. I know a lot of people, they probably
0: know the answer to this. I hope they know the answer to this, but let's just get it out there. Let's talk about testing. Can we require employees to take the COVID-19 test?
1: Well, um, if an employee is refusing, or no, I shouldn't put it that way. If if an employee's chosen not to take a vaccine, I'm trying to be very neutral here. (laughs) They've chosen not to take the vaccine um and you are a workplace like a daycare where you know or the schools or or nurses where you're very front line and the and the people you're serving are either vulnerable or you're breathing in their face every day then um uh then yes you can require your employees to do something that is an alternative so this is part of the accommodation piece so um uh if they pass the the, the thresholds, right? That they're asking for accommodation of a protected ground, um, and there is now, you know, you can't do the initial accommodation, um, which is, you know, hey, we, we don't want to have to do the vaccine, you know, that that's an accommodation that that usually is unreasonable in many workplaces, especially any in in-person workplaces. So what is what is the, the the different thing we're going to do in this situation? To allow this person to continue to perform their job and accommodate this request. So if they've requested it, because they have a medical exemption, for example. We now are simply accommodating a disability. So that is no different than the person with a sore back. Um, if it, and and so then are there other things that we can do to accommodate these requirements that that are being um, asked of them to come into the workplace? So the testing, um. You know, it, it, it is a way to get around, it's not as intrusive as, you know, for, dragging someone to a vaccine center and poking something in their arm, right? We're not sure. forcing them to get the GPS uh, vaccine, <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, you know, little robots that are going to go into their, their neck and track their, place. Uh, you know, we're not forcing them to take medicine. We're asking them to do a test. That is unintrusive. It's not even taking blood, right? And so, you know, under under um, a, a general accommodation law, it would not be unreasonable to ask someone to take a test because you're balancing that with the proactive duty to keep the rest of your workers safe.
0: Now, what about non-employees? With people returning to the workplace, or let's say up until the last few weeks, the plans were for people to return to the workplace. Um, Many of us that we have already. Can we require visitors or vendors who are coming into the office on site? Can we require them to be vaccinated and can
1: we ask for proof of their vaccination? See, I think this is one of the most difficult questions right now, because um, if if it's a private company, you know, let's 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 say it's, you know, I don't know, a landscaping company and they own the building and and people are coming into their building to deliver whatever you deliver to a landscaping company seeds and um and you're the seed truck and you deliver that you know that that owner it's their private property so they can kind of do whatever they want if you are a school or a hospital or you know um or even retail where you are inviting public part of the the whole arrangement is that you're inviting public into your store in the mall for example you know it's always going to be um, a little more complicated. Um, it's so I, and it's also a practical question. If you're asking, um, if someone's just delivering um, something quickly, you know, are you really going to go through all of that? If there are alternatives, you can have them drop it off at the front and have one of your own employees go and pick it up. Um, depending on what it is, right? If it's if it's a courier delivery that, and it's just a letter, that's fine. If it's a great big truck of Grass seed, then that's a different story because, you know, then you're, you're dealing with um, expanding your own employees terms and conditions of employment. So, um, I I actually find this 1 really hard to answer. It depends on the workplace and who these visitors and vendors are. If you're a hospital go nuts, right? If you're, um and and the schools as well but i if it's private property i think it's uh, you're going to have a little more flexibility to to force it
0: so before we wrap up our talk about vaccination and get into the abc portion of the podcast anything but covid what <laughs> is there
1: anything that we haven't touched on today around vaccination that you want to talk about so the, in the world of privacy like i said it is a um it's medical information. Whether someone got vaccinated is medical information. So most, most, you know, experienced HR folks already know how to deal with that. It's private. Um, if you can hive off any information about that separate from the all the other generics um, um, aspects of the file, medical information. Same with financial information. But it's but in this case, medical information should be always treated a bit differently um and and hived off and and only ask for that information that is necessary to serve the purpose for which you're asking that's what the the principles in and pippa um, talk about so um you know what what is the most narrow amount of information that you need to ask in this case to serve the purpose so be super clear about what the purpose is. Why are you asking for this? If it's t- to stir the pot in your workplace, obviously don't ask for it. If it's because you're, you are know, you you know, have two employees working side by side in a tiny office and you're worried about your proactive legal obligations under OSHA, you probably have more um, latitude to ask some questions. When this podcast airs, we would have
0: just wrapped up the holiday retail season. And lately I've seen over the past couple of years, companies training and onboarding their contract and their seasonal employees. And I wondered, from the standpoint of minimizing company liability, how important is it to show that the company has identified standards of conduct with those seasonal and temporary employees?
1: In the world of digital communications, you know even even 10 years ago there you know we talked to clients it, it would get raised well we're not sure if that person has a phone and they may not be able to um they're they're not computer literate they may not you know they've got an old flip phone still and they 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 don't have a smartphone to access something that's not the case anymore there's you know and and if you happen to be in a workplace where you have anyone who doesn't have a smart a smartphone now then you just have a It carve out a unique thing for them, but don't use their standard for the rest of the workplace because it's so unusual now. Uh, And and in every industry, I think even, you know, we're not talking about. Tech, tech, fancy companies, um, landscaping companies and people where they don't need technology. Everybody has a smartphone. So if if you're trying to get. um, For the employer to do their due diligence to make sure your team has is aware and has read and is. acknowledges the, the policies that are in place, it is so easy to do that now with a simple email, you attach a thing, you have them, you know, if, if you don't have the ability to do some fancy form where they do some e-signature, have them respond to the email and just type in, I confirm I read this, you know, the attachment to this email. It, it You know, it, it doesn't need to be fancy. It just needs to be clear that the person has had access to, and has read the thing, the policy that you're trying to put in front of them. We were talking about Black Lives Matter
0: earlier. I know, um, you know, how important DEI is now. We've done several of our podcasts on it. So I wonder from a branding and from a, a business perspective, can an employer force or encourage their employee to include their pronouns in their email signature? Because I'm seeing a lot of that over the last few months.
1: Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. I So, I don't actually know what the legal answer is, because I doubt there, I mean, there is some case law now where the employer, we, we wrote about on our blog not that long ago, about an employer who um, was just being pretty unpleasant about it to one of their employees who is who is stating a preference around pronouns. So there is now case law about that. Um, but as the, you know, as the manager to force your employees to put it in their email signature, for example, um, I. Feel like that would really backfire. So I, I don't, I, I, I suppose legally you maybe could, but boy, that undermines the whole point of it. The whole point of it is to. Um, have everybody identify their pronouns so that those with non-traditional um pronouns are as included and as valued as everybody else. And so, if you're now forcing everybody to do it. I, don't know. I And I I mean, this has been, um, it's like quota systems or forcing people to be uh, nice to the only, you know, traditionally the picture in law firms is being like a true story, probably forcing people to be nice to the new only woman lawyer you know and forcing them to include them like it, it, we want to move past that and have it just be reaching out and and including them because that's the it's the better business decision first of all um i can tell so our firm is is um uh we have seven female lawyers and and we and we we happen to be an all female law firm, all of our, our two paralegals, our, our ops team, like everybody is female. It's it's not necessarily that we're trying to do that. It's kind of happening now, but we get clients because of that, right? So, for, I'm just sharing that because um, for any employer who wonders if they're going to um turn away clients, the world has moved on from that. I think our customers, I think the world, people want to Um, have more inclusivity generally. So I I don't know. I don't, I I, I would be very hesitant to force the issue of pronouns. Okay, but I heavily encourage it (laughs) and educate people about the why of it. I agree.
0: In the fall, the Ontario government introduced legislation around a worker's right to disconnect. Now we've seen it introduced overseas in France in particular and it looks like we're in the early stages of it here. Can you fill the listeners in
1: more about what they can expect and how they should be responding to it? Um so in Ontario, uh this fall it was uh Bill 27 was uh proclaimed. So what it is say it says a couple of different things, but with respect to this particular issue around the right to disconnect, um as of January 1, 2021, employers with 25 or more employees. So, this is not for little employers. So, for, for um, employers of 25 or more, they're required to have a written policy on the right to disconnect and that right to disconnect needs to address um, all communications. So, emails, phone calls, video calls. Um, so, emails count. You can't just ask your employee to pop in for a sec. Is that, you're not, they're not disconnecting if you're forcing them to do that. Um, The employer is required to provide a copy, uh, um, so you have to write down this policy, and and there's no specific template that exists at this point. There's some good ideas and suggestions on the government website, but there's no specific template. It can be a a, a paragraph in your employee handbook. It doesn't need to be, I think, the shorter the better in many cases, but you have to provide a copy of that to the employees within 30 days of creating the um, policy. It's just been uh, proclaimed. So the the uh, employers have to get cracking and do the first one within six months of it being proclaimed, which lands on June 2nd of 2022. So, and then, and then after that, you need to, um, like that's just to get it going. And then after that, every time you, um, if you're a new employer, for example, in 2023, you need to create that policy and if you make any significant changes to it, you also are obligated to give it to employees within 30 days. And there's not a lot of policies out there where this is the case where you're proact. I mean, it's, it's always encouraged that you should. Um, and when they first start, um, there's all these different posting and policy rules. But this one is, is, I think, a little bit unique that if you make a big change, you have to reissue that policy to employees within 30 days of doing that. Okay, awesome.
0: Now, before we wrap up today, are there any strong trends in the area of employment law that you think that the HR professional needs to be on the lookout for right now and for 2022?
1: Yeah, and probably 2023, because what I'm going to say is mental health, mental health issues in general, and just the stress of the pandemic on everyone. Certainly, if you are any sort of frontline worker in the health universe, boy, oh boy, I, I like... Um, I had a little hospital stay in September. And when I, I kept asking all the nurses, you know, how you how are you doing? And everybody's burnt out. I could hear over at the nurse's desk, oh, so-and-so can't make it in today, they're sick, you know, and so everyone's doubling up. And so just the the anyone in healthcare, obviously, but even outside of healthcare, um, you know, schools are on, schools are you know, in person, remote person and so parents with little kids are are strung out. Um, anyone who has is in an area that that ends up getting impacted when we have a, a lockdown. Like, you know, like the restaurant and the entire hospitality industry. Um, it's just all over the place. Um, so what we're seeing from that is an uptake in harassment claims that are really just because everyone's stressed out. So the 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 harassment itself might be because you know someone parked in the wrong parking spot, but it's because everyone's just at wit's end um, and managers are equally at wit's end and not always making the right decision because they're just as stressed as all the workers. Um, So we're seeing this uptake in workplace investigations, and then an uptake in a scrutiny about the investigations from a legal point of view. So I do think um, if there's 1 skill set that employers can really work on in 2021, how to do workplace investigations. Sometimes you need to pull in an external, super expensive law firm type of investigation, but a good chunk of the time you don't, especially if you're a big enough workplace that you have a a person who can conduct a neutral investigation. Um, And so the skill sets around that is is important to to just uh, really amp up all the, all the, the basic legal principles.
0: And we talked about that on our romance in the
1: workplace podcast episode that's right that's right yes which was a much not... more light and fluff no it was not fluffy it was definitely not fluffy but um talking about all the juicy facts around romance in the workplaces is, is better than vaccines isn't it I love having you on the podcast you make everything sound great like
0: oh I had a little hospital stay you made oh, it sound feel. so relaxing <laughs> hey as a lawyer it's like Oh, my got to not work for a couple of weeks it was amazing <laughs> is there anything impactful that you wanted to share that we haven't talked about today
1: um you know so our firm represents both employers and employees and i i just and this is not new to to 2021 or 2022 but the number of times when we're representing the employee or the executive They just need to be heard, you know, and the number of times where everything gets distilled down to broken telephone. That is so much of employment law. And so, uh, and right now, especially because a lot of workplaces are learning new ways to um, communicate with each other because of the remote um, environment. So, um, really being deliberate and thinking about what is a comfortable place for your employees to communicate and try and include that it doesn't mean that employers need to you know um, bow out bow over and only do what um, their employees want that you know you're running a company but include you know listen and include those modes of communication so you know um, some and I don't think this is necessarily age or generation but some people do prefer a quick text or A phone call or a video call, those are all 3 different types of ways of communicating or an email. Right? Um, And, and really figuring out what is a. a, An effective way um, to listen right now in our new, new, new workplace Um, and and the newness isn't going away. It's going to keep evolving. I think for a while yet. Um, everyone kind of thought we'd go back after Labor Day, and now, you know, it's it's uh, there's going to be a lot of pausing on return to work. All the inks built on hybrid workplaces. I, we can all kind of go back to remote probably for a bit while we get through the Omicron wave. How can people get a hold of you, Lisa? If you want to listen to me, <laughs> I like email. Uh, it all comes into my inbox. So lstam at springlaw.ca. Um, and then on our website, our whole team is on there to connect with other people that are, are um, maybe more specific to the type of workplace issues you, um, your workplace has. So our, our website is um, uh, springlaw.ca. All right. Now we're kicking off 2022 with a new list of things that we
0: wrap the podcast up with. In 2021, we asked guests to name their favorite things. Now we're going to ask them to name a list of firsts so we never forget our first so are you ready lisa i am
1: i am nervous but yes i am <laughs> it's not gonna be lisa, too personal is it no it's not too. my personal. first kiss was um
0: <laughs> oh i remember my first kiss <laughs> we all everybody do does <laughs> the first car you owned what was it lisa
1: it was a brown chevy celebrity with a bucket seat in the front, which was awesome because I was pretty young. I was in my early 20s, so, you know, um, it's nice to sit in the middle with your boyfriend. And (laughs) (laughs) it was an older car, yes. (laughs) What was the first job you had? I come from good working class roots, so a whole bunch of them by grade nine. So, I've always babysat, but in grade nine, um, the summer of grade nine, I remember I had uh, a couple of jobs, so a little bit of babysitting. But I grew up north of Toronto, and so I worked in the um, on a farm in the fields of the Holland Marsh for three summers, actually. I started before grade nine, um, weeding up and down all those rows for eight, nine, ten hours a day. And I was an umpire as well, a baseball umpire.
0: Wow, awesome.
1: What was the first concert that you attended? See, that's also a first nobody forgets, is it? It was The Spoons at Wonderland Kingswood Theatre. Back when it first opened, uh, it, it opened at the perfect age of my life, where you could go for like 20 bucks for the day and be able to see whatever concert was there that night. The good old days, The Spoons. Lisa,
0: I'm so glad that I asked you that question, because that was the first concert I attended.
1: The no. Spoons
0: opening for Men Without Hats
1: at the same concert in 1980 something what 84 85 whatever that might have been.
0: the same first
1: concert that was my first concert too no way that is crazy it's funny how i don't remember the men with hats piece which is totally ridiculous because you know they were the headliner men i (laughs) I remember man i remember What a weird small world. Although, you know what? In the 80s, we all listened to the same thing, right? We didn't have streaming music yet. And so there was only a few places that a, you know, 15-year-old to go go to a concert because it wasn't in a bar. Yep. Oh, my God. What a small world. That's crazy. All right. Last question of firsts. The first
0: piece of advice you'd give to a young professional just starting out.
1: Well, get out there and meet people, which I know is um, hard to do in, uh, or it's, oh, well, it is perceived to be hard to do in a, a remote pandemic world. But I disagree. I have been very deliberate about building an online profile um, for over a decade, so pre pandemic. Um, and it's, it can be a quicker, easier, less intrusive way if you're going to reach out to some people in your industry. Um, or get involved in, um, you know, whatever is the association, you know, the HRPA, or if you're a lawyer in the, you know, the Ontario Bar Association type things and help. Organize, um, um, events, um, all of that can be done online. It doesn't, you know, and, and, you know, keep your LinkedIn active and, um, your online social active and build your own profile and just meet people in your communities knowing especially if you're in an industry where um, you maybe need to build a book of business like uh, any any um, you know, like law or whatever you know any industry like that um, don't expect to do that for a while and just go out and meet people and expand that network and then it all and, and just be helpful and friendly to people and it all sort of falls into place well what a great way to kick
0: off the year once again happy new year lisa i don't know how long i can say happy new year for i usually say it i think for the month of january <laughs>
1: I think we can say it for at least that we're not going to all see each other in person. So we'll forget that we, you know, said it the last time. It's all good. Happy for to on the to podcast. You too, Thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast again, Lisa.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. And with that, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit from it as well. If you find the Insights Work podcast worthy, please go on to iTunes and give us a cool rating with a nice review. We certainly appreciate it. And if there's something that you would like me to discuss around this big world of HR and all things business, give me a shout. You know how to reach me on social media or through LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay healthy and be kind. We'll see you soon on the next episode of the Insights at Work podcast.